0: Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Blessed Child Podcast. This is your host, Ren, a.k.a. Ren Robot. This week, I interview a peer of mine from Bridgeport Hope School. We met when we were, mm, must have been seven, seven years old, seven or eight years old, maybe nine. Anyways, um, we dive deep into Bridgeport Hope School and the education system for a unification church member or blessed child that was laid out in the Bridgeport community. Uh, We dive pretty deep into the structure of Bridgeport from our own lens, and I hope that by doing so, we can uncover some patterns. This is very niche to Bridgeport, but I'm wondering if other ex-members or members can relate to the same structures and how things played out. Um, We cover labor trafficking, we cover bartering for work, we cover um, even intentionally planting people in certain homes in the community. Um, So yeah, it's really interesting. And I hope that, uh, yeah, if you see any patterns or anything, please reach out to me and let me know if if you saw this similar type of settlement uh, tactics in your own church communities. I would be really interested to find out. We're going to start with a poem that Yoshi wrote. She is a teacher now, as well as a writer. And so here we go.
1: Moby is Stripped by Yoshka Wasson originally published in rice paper magazine. We thought my life was following the same curves as yours mama, but I was slowly curling into the twist of a Mobius strip, and when I finally straightened, I became the inverse of you. You always said history repeats itself, but did you know that when life looped back again, we would be on opposite planes. I ran away from the same thing that saved you, because in my orbit, your legacy became my curse. I remember like you're a year or two older than me so that's why I wasn't sure if you would remember me (laughs) because you know like you play with your peers and stuff and sometimes you don't remember younger people but I remember you were really good at art and you're also like pretty sporty.
0: Oh my gosh wow I remember (laughs) you were always drawing you always had like a, a book you were pretty artistic too weren't you
1: yeah kind of yeah Yeah. but I think like it was you and other a couple other people who would always draw Pokemon
0: when that show first came out oh my god (laughs) you're so right we would go to the park and hunt squirrels like thinking it was (laughs) like a, a, a Pikachu we were so delusional. I actually thought Pokemon were real, like, at that point in my life. Yeah, Pokemon (laughs) were totally real.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and I think, like, um, well, I'm half Japanese, and I think, like, just growing up in the U.S., like, being removed from Japanese culture, like, Pokemon was a way in a weird way to be like oh yeah like this is sort of your culture and like the foods that they're eating and things they're doing so I feel like I really latched onto it as a kid in that way.
0: Actually that's 100% correct that was like one of the first times I saw people eating rice balls other than just us.
1: Yeah (laughs) and I remember at one point the translation though they're like I'm eating a jelly-filled donut and I'm like that's not a jelly-filled donut it's a rice ball
0: right yeah they're just yeah that that is a very good point wow uh very cool so yeah yoshi um so you contacted me uh recently just yesterday actually we set up this interview pretty quick which is awesome um you wrote a book you're writing a book you're in the works and you do you want to tell us about what you're writing
1: yeah sure so in my spare time i like to write poetry um and that started out in college, like I was an English major, and but poetry wasn't something I was really that into, but I did have to take like a basic intro to poetry course. And through that, I really like learned to appreciate that genre um, and the ways that you can really just focus on really small moments or details that are so specific to you and your experience, but in a way through that specificity, like there are some like universal things that people can relate to. Um, So I started to appreciate the genre from there. I tried writing out some stuff too, and yeah, that's what I do in my spare time. I have a couple poems published in like small magazines, mostly like online and stuff, and I've tried out like writing stuff uh, related to like growing up in the UC and getting out of it and things like that. Um, so I had a bunch of poems like that and I decided like, okay, like, let's put them together and make a little collection. Um, so yeah, I have this small book coming out um, soon on August 5th. Um it would be considered a micro track book or zine. So it's not like a full length collection, and it'll be available online. So um, through that experience, I'm like, okay, well, this will be my excuse or my way to like, be more public about uh, my experience uh, growing up in the church.
0: Oh, that's awesome. I I read um, some of your your poems, actually read all of your poems in the book, and I really appreciate how you do deeply but so briefly explain the environment in which you grew up um there was one poem about a wedding dress that you bought and ah it's it's short but it's so accurate um would you would you like to read any of your poems
1: um yeah sure I'll have to pull it up but first I do want to say like a lot of the poems are based on my experience um but some of them aren't like some Some of them I took artistic liberty like combining three moments and putting it into one. And some of them like are more of like stories I heard um, versus my experience and that specific poem was is not my experience <laughs> thankfully. Um, that one is yeah just based on like stories that I I've heard and like my fears too. Um yeah why don't
0: I yes and yeah. that's yeah that's valid because those are big fears for a lot of us we were just a product and I'll let the poem explain more so I really appreciate you representing that very intense experience so here yeah yeah give
1: me a second All yeah, right. yeah I have it up now and it's aptly named um nightmares slash worst fears um one I want someone to tell me who I should bury just tell me so I don't make a mistake of picking the wrong one while you're at it tell me what dress you think I should wear I want white and cheap nothing too revealing but at the dress shop there is no white they have alabaster ivory champagne cream too many choices two stylist small talk How long have you been engaged? I've been waiting my whole life. Where's your venue? In a ballroom with thousands of other couples. Tell me about your fiance. I can't, I don't know him yet. After all, I'm more symbol than woman. Three, when I get to the wedding hall, I find that there's no groom for me. There has been a mistake with the numbers. More women than can be paired with men. As I leave, I'm careful not to wrinkle my new wedding dress because I'll save it for next time.
0: Oh, man. Ooh, every single one of those uh, strikes a, a chord, like a deep chord. Um, just the way you, yeah, ravel up so many different nuances. I really, really liked, if we can go into the first one and just focus on that one. Uh, about the wedding dress shopping because I had that experience at like 18 at David's Bridal. <laughs> I needed a white dress and I had to pick the cheapest one.
1: Like yeah. many. Yeah, like yeah. many.
0: Yeah, like... Um.
1: So I actually, thankfully I never got matched and blessed, but this was something that I remember people who had gone through that experience like talking about the same thing. And yeah, almost like... I remember someone telling me like, yeah, they like bust like 15 of us to David's bridal and everyone was looking and they want the same thing. Cheap, not too showy, and it's all rushed. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It I really wish more employees knew what they were looking at, which which mm-hmm. is what we I've termed it marriage trafficking, um, because we're paying and to be blessed. Like, I don't know. We'll talk about that later. That's not what we we're talking about today. Um, About your poem, let's go back to that. One of the things that you said, you said, I want white and cheap. And to me in this poem, white to me illustrates purity. And you said, but there is no white. And I just, uh, Mm. that struck a chord with me because purity is an illusion. Uh, The demand for purity is part of um, thought reform. And so I just really loved how you were able to address that thank you yeah so yeah number two was good too the small talk stylist small talk (laughs) uh we're so good at changing the topic um
1: yeah yeah I think growing up in this environment made me a good liar (laughs) which is uh, not something to be proud about um yeah
0: well, you know, okay. I, I understand that sentiment because I was also a good liar, but it's in a way um, when you're living in cognitive dissonance, you have to protect yourself. Yeah, yeah. And and if you tell the truth, you'd be admitting too much to yourself and putting yourself in danger. So the fact that you became a good liar is also what kept you safe. And in a space of deconstruction and healing, I want to honor that part of you that had to be so creative in your narrative to stay safe in both worlds that you were living in. But I I did see a poem and I don't want to give too much of the book away because people can go buy it, but you did write something about that. And I really appreciated that you uh, captured that aspect as well.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I don't know, like, I know that you make art as well. And I I don't know, sometimes it's hard to like, um, accept compliments about it. (laughs)
0: <laughs> I got you. <laughs> we can move on. Um, I remember. I remember your dad. Can mm-hmm. we? Can we? Can we talk about that? Yeah, sure. I remember him being a tall man. Is that correct?
1: Yes, he's six foot, my mom is five foot, exactly.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Right, so your your family, I remember seeing your dad, and I was a a small child, looming over the rest of us, uh, leading your family pack into the Sunday service on sundays and i think i played with your brothers in the back and you were there too we would climb the pillars in the back of the back of the uh yeah yeah, of the of (laughs) the church yeah there was those those two weird pillars and like we would take turns um climbing the bricks to like (laughs) try to make fun very quietly we were children that were seen not heard yeah oh like i remember that that's so funny um yeah. And we climbed the trees and stuff. So actually we have good memories. Like I really don't have any uh, awful memories with you. Cause I think I disappeared before we got into our team.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, there is something to say about like growing up in a community of people with like similar backgrounds and stuff. And yeah, you know, there was, thankfully there is like a group of kids around our age so we could grow up together.
0: Have yeah. friends,
1: like built in friends,
0: <laughs> yeah. So, so I'm curious would you like to talk about Bridgeport Hope School or, you know? yeah,
1: sure. Um, so I actually I went to Bridgeport Hope School from first to third grade, um, starting in 1998, and at the time it was still like a fairly new school, I think it had only been founded for a couple of years, so it was really small um I remember there were so few kids that we would be grouped together by two grades it was like first and second grade together kind of thing um so it was really small tight knit everyone knew each other there was a couple kids who weren't in the church but that was really rare
0: oh. the twins I don't remember they were the, they were and then there was Oh my god, oh, yes. such a trouble! I'm gonna yes. bleep out all these names. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you... Do you remember those two?
1: Okay, I, I think I remember.
0: And oh, yes. sorry. I, oh
1: my goodness, you remember these names better than
0: I do. <laughs> I do. Well, they were... actually it's because I became better friends with the outside kids, like the five outside kids, than the ones inside the church. Yeah.
1: Um, I think it was when he he went he cheated on my. <laughs> worksheet once my math worksheet and the teacher thought I cheated off of him so I got in
0: trouble he was such a oh you know looking back I he's such an adorable little boy (laughs) but he was such a troublemaker which yeah like
1: he's with a bunch of weirdos like with us like
0: <laughs> what was he that supposed was probably, to
1: do like um an adjustment for sure like okay like these are the people I have to fit in with now <laughs>
0: <laughs> what the fuck <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god um yeah those work paces were so messed up like you're a teacher now I saw that in your in your criteria you're a teacher now like what do you think about that self-pacing and then the answer sheets like we had no structure
1: yeah it's just like learning from a workbook basically yeah (laughs) on the one hand like small small instruction is helpful but like yeah I would not want to send my kid there I mean I know the school still exists and it looks different now so I can't say like what the in terms of the current school but yeah um I will say like I I do have some fond memories I don't know if you had this teacher but the one I had the longest was um her name was Miss Love and (laughs) yeah with a name like that how can you forget (laughs) but she also wasn't a part of the church so I think she had. I think she had like some qualifications.
0: (laughs) Yeah. She actually was my most favorite teacher because she read Harry Potter to us in story time. Oh
1: yes. I remember that. (laughs) Yeah. She,
0: I remember all those little kids and you might've been in the same class as me at this point, but Mrs. Love. Yeah. It was in that corner room. I want to say it's like a, the Northeast corner room was, was Miss Love's class. And, um, she would get us all in a little circle and we'd all be sitting in a little circle watching her read. And we'd learn about Harry Potter. And that was like one of the first, I don't know, I related to that magical story of being different. And I just appreciated someone not reading us the divine principle or the Christian based paces that we were studying. Cause it was just something different. And then <laughs> There was also a gym teacher, and I can't remember her name she was a a tumbling teacher she was a blonde gymnast
1: I don't remember i don't, she, I remember um I don't remember gym too much, but I remember there's a time where we started doing um one
0: <laughs> I really want to talk about this yeah I really really like, do that was real yeah mr uh, Satok... Sato- so he was a skinny, thin, very strong, lean Japanese master. Do you remember him with the long hair?
1: I don't remember. You don't remember the teacher? <laughs> I don't know. I, don't, I remember like learning the martial art and like chopping the board, but I don't remember the teacher. So.
0: Oh yeah. We did this for years. I want to say at least 2 years cuz I got to the point where I was breaking two boards oh wow yeah with like
1: oh, that's an accomplishment it
0: was yeah we did that okay so it was um I'm gonna beep out all these names but and me yeah. we were all in like the upper class or whatever uh and we like staged a fight for <laughs> a Christmas program <laughs> that's hilarious oh my god And that's where I chopped two boards um but the teacher like he Gives me in my memories like CIA vibes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's possible. Like, you know, <laughs> can't put any, you know, all these things that sound like conspiracy theories are like actually true.
0: Yeah, he drove, I want to say he drove like my friend's dream car. It was like a fast sports car. He wasn't a Mooney, but he was like, he understood our situation. Hey, it's Yoshi again. I want to go on a brief tangent about Wanwado.
1: If you're listening to this, I'm wondering if you have ever heard of this form of martial arts before. Wanwado. Yes, I'm not talking about Taekwondo, Aikido, Judo, Karate, not that, but Wanwado specifically, because outside of learning it as a kid, I have never heard of it. Um, and me and Renee are just talking about it like it's normal. I do remember hearing as a kid that it was developed by the unification Church. and after this conversation, I did some googling and it looks like there is that explicit link um, with the founder being having a relationship with Reverend Moon. but it seems like later in life he tried to cut ties with the church and the UC. But in a weird way, like the UC was just trying to co-opt it, and I think looking back, you know, they were trying to use that martial arts form as a form of soft power or recruitment um, in a weird way. And there's other like organizations and front groups that have acted in a similar fashion. And it's just interesting to see how that morphed and trickled down to us as children, learning this obscure martial arts form. Yeah, some food for thought. If you know more about Wanwado, I'm really interested. I would want to pick your brain and learn more about how it came to be and what, how it's regarded in terms of other martial arts. All right.
0: I used to walk home into the ghetto, like as a seven-year-old. Do you remember how dangerous like that ghetto is
1: yeah I mean I lived there too so yeah (laughs) yeah
0: would you walk home with your brothers
1: yeah um and my mom like wasn't working full-time so like
0: yeah compared to other people
1: like my my mom would be there like as opposed to a lot of people like just be on their own I had my brothers I had my mom so I had a little bit more supervision I think than a lot of other people had
0: Yeah do you yeah what was your perspective on all these kids that um yeah didn't have somebody to walk them home I guess well, like because that was like he would walk home alone I would walk home alone um would had their mom drop them off but then they would walk home by themselves and like we're talking about the ghetto like the ghetto ghetto <laughs> like I remember people getting like jumped and and robbed I don't know isn't interesting. I call it a compound now. And I feel like it was strategically placed in the ghetto for behavior control. So you would have to stay safely within the confines of mm. the UB and um Bridgeport International and Bridgeport Hope School.
1: Yeah. Um, well, I think I, I didn't give it too much thought about like other people's situations. I would just think about my own. But um yeah, I mentioned like I didn't stay at BHS the whole time I I left after third grade um and I really don't know what what changed like my parents never told me but what I think is probably like probably something related to tuition like we were poor like everyone else and like yeah you're sending three kids to private school like that's not in the budget you know um yeah So I I don't know, I think that they were planning on us going, like continuing, but I, I think maybe something around tuition or like, something must have happened that like, we couldn't go there anymore. So starting in fourth grade, I went to the local public school. So the one where all the kids from public housing go to, yeah, it's like not a school that like, yeah, it's not a, it wasn't a good school at the time. It's still not from my understanding. It's like one of the worst in the state. Um,
0: and yeah, um, just to get clip- thrown into the deep end. Shit. Okay. I really do want to talk about th- That's Roosevelt school, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So what I know about Roosevelt school and it's not the kids, but it's the teachers who are criminals. Um, the math teacher specifically was sleeping with the children, like having sex with the children, like the, the students. Um, that's what I heard from when my brother, oh my yeah, my brother attempted to go to that school and it was horrendous. Like his friends were giving money for grades to the teachers. The teachers are the oppressors in that school.
1: Yeah, that was not my experience, but I wouldn't be surprised if like, I mean, I if that's, true um yeah my experience was well first it was it was a big adjustment like just the culture is very different and like we were so like in our insulated like VHS church community so like I hadn't had to like relate to people who are different from me and even like our church is pretty I mean it counts itself as being really multicultural and things but like I just experienced my own culture and that's it so like I didn't and then in this school it's like primarily black and brown and I I didn't know like that part of American culture at all so there was that um adjustment and like it was just it was a big school lots of kids really crowded so I wasn't used to that um at the time there there wasn't a playground there's just like a, <laughs> just a, um uh just a lot a concrete lot um they've redone it i have driven past it and it looks much nicer too but the facilities were broken down yeah te- overworked teachers things like that um but when i got there within a couple months they like shuffled students around and i think looking back what they did is they basically tracking us like and i got put into like a group of like um student a class specifically for students who are like on grade level or maybe slightly above so like you know this is the room for like quote unquote like the good kids um like people a lot of my when i went there some things that I learned about specifically that I didn't know before, things like staying back, like a lot of people had been held back. Um, They had, yeah, so they weren't reading and and stuff on where they should be at, Um, things like that. Yeah, Uh, I'm kind of going off track.
0: No, no, this is all Um, really important. Like just for context, uh, Bridgeport Hope School and Roosevelt School were probably only a few blocks away like maybe a mile tops, not even. Yeah, um, but
1: they were a world of difference.
0: Yes. Yeah. I, 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 yeah, so I really appreciate you painting this angle because it's it's a really important aspect of growing up in Bridgeport because some kids did go to Roosevelt night. I remember um, the gifted sports team kids in Bridgeport Hope School, since we didn't have any established sports teams, we'd go to Roosevelt to join their teams. Like- joined their soccer team to play throughout, throughout high school, because we didn't have any of those opportunities or those scholarship opportunities available to us in Bridgeport Hope School. So Roosevelt was always like, a for me, I looked at it as like a corrupt school, but at least you can pursue your dreams, um, Mm. athletically speaking. But I was never brave enough to go to the sports teams because of how different it was in cultural aspects
1: yeah well what you're saying yeah just brings up some other things that i had to learn along the way and like differences um well first of all i remember when i transferred schools um it was the beginning of the school year but me and my brothers couldn't go right away we had to like wait a couple days because um our shot records were not up to date we didn't have the proper like immunizations and stuff and VHS didn't care <laughs> like they didn't so um I remember like the this because the school serves like a poor community they had like the school nurses there my brother remembers that there was like you could get a dentist like they had like a dental facility and things like that so there's these other services that kids like us would have really benefited from but like we didn't have it at all. At least in these like huge government-funded school, yeah, it has its problems. But they do have like some things that we didn't have, like you're naming the sports teams.
0: Yeah, and even thinking of the concept of being held back or being tested or yeah, like what? We, yeah, I was um, so deficient in math, so so deficient in math until my twenties like uh because the math classes in bhs were what we called math walks where we would walk to dunkin donuts and count how many red cars passed and how many yellow cars passed and then when and and that was it like that was a math walk
1: (laughs) i I just remember doing like worksheets a lot which At a really young age, you do need that to develop the mental math and stuff, but yeah, I don't really remember anything beyond that.
0: Um, With the worksheets, uh, once you finished your worksheet, they would give you the key to the answer key (laughs) to check it yourself. So what I did, and this is why I'm so dumb, but also, you know, um, (laughs) maybe it's smart. Uh, I would very lightly write in random numbers like didn't matter because they weren't actually looking at what you wrote down I would just fill in the the sheets with random numbers and be like I finished and then they they would give me the answer sheet and then I would go and erase all the lightly written numbers and put the real answers and maybe negate like one or two like on purpose so it looked like I did it that's how I completed first through like seventh grade (laughs) that
1: and you didn't get caught I didn't get caught (laughs) I did
0: not get caught. Oh my
1: goodness! Yeah, yeah.
0: so bad. Anyways, it, I hope that's not happening still. But kids like me,
1: <laughs> I game system from age. Yeah,
0: yeah, we we uh, yeah, we game that system. Unfortunately, hey everyone, I don't want to take too much of your time. I know we're we're ragging on Bridgeport Hope School education, but I did want to say that the Hooked on Phonics program, well, their own phonetic program, was very good. I left um, Bridgeport Hope School knowing how to read, and I think a lot of other students can agree that the phonics program was great. Um, I was shit in science and math for my whole education, but... I was actually I actually actually excelled in in reading by the time I got to a, a public school in eleventh uh, grade and I, I do attribute that to the wonderful phonetic program in Bridgeport Hope School. Um, they did also do therapeutic practices such as free writing our Our teacher would get us all together and prompt us to free write and follow loose associations in journaling. Um, that really helped my brain loosen up and become more creative, I believe. And so I do want to thank the teacher there that that did that. Uh, she also had us journaling a lot. And so that was like a a therapeutic practice for me to do. So, yeah, even though it was like a neglectful environment, we did learn some basic therapeutic things. And we also learned how to like get in touch with ourselves in a little bit of a way. And Juan Do, even though it was, I don't even know what kind of martial arts it is, it did teach me uh, breathing techniques as well as um, energy work and a little bit of self-defense. So I want to say that, yeah, there was still good things that have shaped me to this day, and that would be the excelled reading programs that we had. I think a lot of people You know, even if you're shit at math and science, if you know how to read, you're going to you can be successful. And I think that's what happened with me and a lot of other people that graduated Bridgeport Hope School. So, yeah, I didn't want to just represent one side. And yeah, let's get back into the episode. And you went from third grade. Did you graduate from Roosevelt?
1: No. So I actually only stayed there a year because it was so terrible. (laughs) I mean, like all things considered, like rough environment that I me and my brothers, like, we, you know, we got through it. Um, Nothing terrible happened to us. Um, Oh, I was in a food fight once. Like, I did not want to be. (laughs) But um, there was, like, this, uh, what do you call it? The lunch monitor. Like, you know, it's a huge lunch room. So she would, like, make sure everyone's in check, throwing out their trash and things. And one day, she, like, left i think to go to the bathroom and she didn't come back um what i heard i don't know if this is completely true but i heard she went to the bathroom and then when she was washing her hands the sink fell down and broke her foot but i don't know like if that's actually true or not but i mean that sounds like a terrible situation so she's taking care of that meanwhile you have hundreds of unattended kids So like someone, I I don't know who like started like throwing food across the room just to be funny. And then other kids were joining in and like, I was a little bit of like a goody two shoes. Like I did not want to be involved. My first instinct was to go under the table, but someone next to me was like, no, like let's leave. Um, And thankfully that was the right call. We were like, we ran up the hallway and then uh, like five minutes later, a teacher came back and was like, wait what is going on like all this chaos um yeah so I experienced things like that but I think my parents saw that like yeah we can't leave our kids um at this school and I even remember actually when I first started there there there's this um church member who can bleep his name out I barely remember him anymore but um his name was Mr. yeah so he was changing careers and he wanted to be a teacher and he got a job there at Roosevelt but he quit within like two days because it was just too rough for him but imagine if that's rough on a grown adult like we did a whole year you know
0: yeah yeah I think my brothers only did like maybe a year two or maybe even a semester because the tuition at the private schools was so cheap so expensive at bridgeport hope school it was so expensive my dad had to work as a science teacher and the physician to pay to barter for our tuition that's why that's why we were able to go there yeah and
1: Everyone did yeah that. yeah like now that i think about it like my mom would help like clean um after hours and i remember like another kid's mom like randomly taught us art so that's
0: yeah but they didn't get they didn't get paid there's no social security there's no retirement there's no tax stubs. there's no there's no paper trail for like the seven years my dad did that there's no paper trail um eight and um And what's also equally sad is even though it was an expensive private school, we didn't get fed. Like hearing your uh, food fight story makes me sad because like I was starving and not, I remember we had like milk you could buy and the teacher would not let me like eat. Like there was pizza days. You remember pizza days? I
1: do remember pizza days.
0: It It was something. Yeah, go ahead.
1: Yeah, something to look forward to. But then there would be some weeks where my mom... And would give us pizza Lunchables yeah. on pizza day because she's like, no, the pizza day is too expensive. Like we'll bring our own pizza to pizza day.
0: Pizza days at Bridgeport Hope School were on Wednesdays. They would give you a granola bar, a chocolate milk, a regular milk and a piece of pizza. It was $3 to participate in pizza day and $3 was still too much. Um, yeah. I was starving and watching people eat pizza And the teacher knew that I couldn't afford pizza because when I did afford pizza, it was in pennies and dimes and they still wouldn't feed us. So this is a private school that is labor trafficking our adult parents to pay for a ridiculous tuition. And we still didn't get the basic needs of food like that part of Bridgeport Hope School still pisses me off. Yeah.
1: Like, like I said, I I work in education now and like, There's a lot of problems with the system, but, like, at least when you go to a public school, even if it's a low-income area, like, they will provide these things for you. And we didn't even get that.
0: Yeah, so you're, yeah, so we're going between Roosevelt and Bridgeport Hope School, and they're both equally, like, they're both terrible. (laughs) Yeah, just in different ways. (laughs) Like oh my god these were our options. Here, y'all.
1: <laughs> yeah. So after that year like you know my parents were like looking into the school system and like trying to figure out like okay what hoops do you need to jump through and things like that and like you know my dad is white american he can like figure out that system better than like my mom who's an immigrant hasn't been through that system could like figure out so um what they there there are a couple different options in bridgeport at least at that time um there are magnet schools which oh yeah (laughs) Yeah, yeah yeah i remember these okay tell me more so it's not just a bridgeport thing i know there's things across the country although like currently a lot of those programs are closing because they're not equitable like Um, basically it's like for the quote unquote like smart kids or like more gifted kids Um, and these schools are like desirable they're public schools sometimes they have more funding or like special programs Um, but there is a lottery system to get in it like if there's so much demand like there was for these ones so uh, my parents put us down in the lottery system and in the meantime like I, I think the first go around, we didn't get anything. And in the meantime, I also um, transferred schools through, they had a talented and gifted program. I don't think I was talented or gifted, but they were able to be like, oh, like her grades are good or whatever. Um, so they got me into another school in Bridgeport, but it, it was um, it was far away. I was like the first kid to be on the bus like the first bus stop. So it was just, um, yeah, it was an adjustment for me. And like the the standards were higher than they were at Roosevelt. So it was difficult. <laughs> and like, I was taking Spanish for the first time, and I never took a foreign language, things like that. So I was going to the school. Um, and about halfway through the year, my, one of my brother's got accepted into the magnet school and he started going there and there's some there's priority sibling priority like if one kid gets in um your siblings have priority of also getting accepted so through that um my parents were like well this kid got in like look at our two other kids like look at the report cards kind of thing so they they kind of they initiate my dad was the one to initiate this conversation with the principals like let our other kids in and they're like okay sure like after Christmas break your your kids can come in so um yeah I went to this magnet school up from like fifth or sixth grade until eighth grade
0: wow you you paved the way to get out of that wow you like you paved the way for your that's amazing like well
1: I mean, it was a team effort. Like my younger brother was able to get into the magnet school first and then he brought us along.
0: Yeah. Oh Um, yeah. He paved the way he paved the way Yeah. either way. Like that's, that's one of the best stories I've heard from escaping the Bridgeport Roosevelt black hole of whatever. I mean, like, honestly, that's awesome.
1: I think that there have been families like after us, like younger kids who like, entirely escaped the Roosevelt part and that they were able to go to magnet schools or other things. But at the time I think our community was still small and like the families hadn't figured out these things yet. So I I really think that my family might have been um excuse me one of the first to like figure out how to like jump through the hoops and like find an alternative to BHS. I know that there are some other kids who Within the church, we ended up going to like other private schools or like if they if they lived out more in the suburbs, you know, they would go to those schools. But in terms of people who like lived in Bridgeport, yeah, there weren't many options, but we figured it out.
0: That's, and that is a relevant point to the, the Mooniverse because we were told it was providential to be in Bridgeport, restoring the Bridgeport community. So like, we were very much like, if you don't think this is relevant to the Mooniverse, like this is very much relevant because we were intentionally placed in this oppressive society. And we were intentionally told to sacrifice our lives. And and I mean, the children, us, the children's lives to be in this like really dangerous community. Hey, it's
1: Yoshika again. I wanted to connect some threads and also provide some context. I know that I said a lot of negative things about Bridgeport Hope School, Roosevelt School, Bridgeport in general, UC. Um, And there's. I also just want to reiterate that there were positive things. It's a very complicated and layered situation on all those levels. Um, And I hope that comes across in this episode. Um, Also, some context, we are talking about Bridgeport, Connecticut, which is located in Fairfield County, which is actually one of the wealthiest counties in the whole nation, in the U.S., Um, even with Bridgeport being a poor city, urban center, um, it is located in a really wealthy area, just towns over, there's, yeah, just immense wealth. Um, and unsurprisingly, given that context, um, the area has one of the highest levels of income inequality in the US. You can Google it. There's been articles about this subject and research as well. I wanted to put that out there in case you also grew up in the area or um, a similar place. I think that's some important context. and yeah, the income inequality like definitely relates to the educational opportunities that were available in the area. And there were some really great schools and towns and districts really close to us that we didn't have access to. And like as mentioned in the show, um, I'm a teacher now and I really believe that all children should have access to a high quality education, no matter what their background is. And that commitment um, is largely rooted in my personal experience um, with education growing up. Um, And a lot of the schools that I've worked in are urban public schools that have similarities to Roosevelt. So yeah, again, I just wanted to give some extra context and enjoy the rest of the episode.
0: You know, the Bridgeport Hope School was so bad. Even the principal, Mrs., um, before Mrs. There was Mrs. She was the principal and she didn't even let her kids go to Bridgeport Hope School. That was one of the first contradictions I I witnessed in, in that school. I was like, why? This is such a great school. Why aren't your kids here?
1: I do remember that they were there for a little bit because one of them was in my grade and then they just like disappeared.
0: Yeah, they disappeared. I actually followed them to the school. Like I was friends with them um, and I slept over their house. And one day I went to their school that had a beautiful playground that had like nice brick. It was a beautiful building, their school. I was like, this is the school you go to, but you're my principal's kids. Why aren't you in school with us? Like this doesn't make any sense. And that was when cognitive dissonance, what is it? Um, Yeah, cognitive dissonance kicked in. And I was like, oh, well, this is Satan's school. So maybe they're like doing God's work here.
1: Yeah, it's wild. Um, Excuse me. I'm like, so I actually have COVID right now, but I'm on the tail end of it. So I have a little bit of a cough left, but like, I'm pretty much good. So yeah, that's, that's what's going on right now. But um, yeah, throughout my life, I've experienced things like that, where it's like, leaders or people with more power in the church and I'm seeing like oh what they do is different than what us like normal members do and what their kids have are different than what I have um fast forwarding to college well okay uh, just going through like education so uh, by going to that magnet school that helped me uh get into a magnet high school um I don't know if you know the high school is in Bridgeport but this is central and if you remember the yeah like their house is right over there oh my god I remember all of this (laughs) so by that time my family actually moved to that neighborhood we got out of the south end
0: um that's where all the rich like I viewed the people in the north end that's as rich (laughs) like it was it was like our the the top of the church leaders like um the pastor Reverend and um the um what's that other family's name with the four boys the three boys yeah Yeah. and then it's like I was like oh they're all special because they're like top of the line educators at UB or yeah UB pretty much they were the educators of UB
1: yeah I think we were like one of the last families to move there but like we also they had like fancier houses like we ours was not <laughs> fancy but it was like in that neighborhood so it was like oh we're maybe we're like moving on up a little bit although it was I know it was a lot like my parents had to look a long time and they had to sacrifice a lot to like get that but yeah that was our that little <laughs> like it, in Bridgeport it's really concentrated in the south end and, and then you have that little pocket too. Yeah, and it was good for me because I went to the, the high schools, like, within walking distance from there, um, so I went to the magnet program at that high school and that, like, I was I was able to take, like, honors and AP classes. I grew to really like school and, like, find a social group there and stuff, and then I went to a a college that, like, is kind of fancy. <laughs> like uh PWI a predominantly white institution like a lot of like uh, upper middle class families and their kids there and um when i got there i i found that there were some other VCs there and people in the church but one thing i noticed and like no i don't mean this in like a negative way i guess or like putting a fault at these people but I was like oh the other BCs here they're like their parents are leaders (laughs) they're like important in the church like they were like they were groomed maybe isn't the right word but like they were put on the path to go to a college like this whereas for me I like I had to work hard and like it was against the odds that I um, was able to go there so like even though I'm like okay like like i'm feeling like that disconnect and like the hierarchies in our church again
0: yeah i um i remember a lot of gifted kids that just never got scholarships or opportunities because they were in bridgeport hope school and i call that educational abuse like we weren't set up for success not at, not at all uh, in my opinion um the only scholarship that i remember being promised was oh you're a Mooney. you can get 10 grand to go to ub to do uh political science for reverend moon (laughs) um i i do have a question about you living in the north side um and i'm proud of you for working so hard and and becoming a teacher and graduating and that's awesome but i do this has been a burning question in my heart since i was a child (laughs) reverend moon told us to live in the south side like we were supposed (laughs) to proliferate the south side um the south side had no grocery stores like the the only place you could shop was a corner store where things are inflated and so the system of oppression like you just stay there you if once you're in the ghetto you stay in the ghetto there's no getting out and i remember all the families that moved to the north side had access to a grocery store to bulk shopping to opportunity and and i just remember thinking like moon told us to live in the south side like why are the reverends why are they living outside of the the system that we're supposed to liberate um and I know that wasn't your choice but do you have any insight on like what their justification was for living in the north side
1: I really don't (laughs) I don't know um but I think like I felt something I feel like yeah there was a similar message I feel like with the schools that we attended like we're just supposed to attend B-H-S-B-I-A-U-B, like, that's the the path, <laughs> but with time and, like, people being there, you know, people go to other schools, like myself included, um, and I think, like, things just kind of, like, ease up, and people see, like, okay, I don't have to do this. I can, like, go where I want to go. Um, I, yeah, I don't have an answer to your question. I think, yeah, Maybe at that point, like families are thinking about their family unit, like what's best for my family and my children versus like what the direction is top down. Um, I will say that when my parents were looking for a house or realtor, the main one was another church member.
0: Um. <laughs> and yeah. that's okay. This is weird. Now we're bringing up the real estate agents that were also Moonies. Gay, <laughs> who was rich as fuck. Yeah, yeah. He, he had like multiple homes yeah, yeah. selling homes to Moonies in the South yeah. Side. And sorry, I'm going to block out all these names, yeah. but there was like deliberate, there was a deliberate system of planting Moonies in Bridgeport because there was Mooney real estate agents selling where they wanted us yeah like we bought our house from like he was the real estate agent that organized that on walnut street in the fucking ghetto right by iranistan yeah
1: and then there was a couple couple families that had houses there right
0: yes so they were deliberately and we never talked about this lining us up to to be borders on the fucking ghetto
1: that's insane
0: like thinking about this now i'm like whoa
1: because they're like uh, you know got to stick together yeah
0: um this is really weird I don't <laughs> I don't have words
1: but, um I remember now that when Mr. White was like showing my family houses he did try to sell us actually he had one house that was in the south end like two blocks from BHS, and my parents didn't like it it yeah up but he did show us that house and but he showed us other houses in Bridgeport
0: we were just cushioning um and I'll tell this story about uh he was my stepmom's team fundraising captain on MFT um she did seven years in a van and she told me a story just the other month that was awful about what he did to her but she was oh, like God. she was she was very happy about it. She was like, he's my best captain ever, but she told me the story where he dropped her off in a random town in like South Dakota or yeah one of the Dakotas somewhere up north in the middle of nowhere and said, I'll meet you in the next town, which was like miles, like maybe 20 miles away from where he dropped her off. So she fundraised all day and then she got on the train tracks and started walking to the next town. She passed out on the train tracks from exhaustion. Oh my God no water. Thank God no trains came through that night when she woke up, she finished her walk and met in the next town to pick her up. Like that's, that's his critical thinking. That's, that's how much he cares about people's safety.
1: Yeah. I always viewed him as kind of, maybe similar to my dad, but I viewed him as like a mild mannered man. Like I wouldn't think he would do something like that. Oh
0: yeah. He's not emotional to any degree. He's very mild, but like I found out that story last month yeah. <laughs> and now we're talking about how we were used as padding in like a dangerous area. Uh, this is not something I expected to discover. <laughs> Holy shit. Okay. Interesting. Anyways, I, I think, uh, to answer that burning question is that sometimes, uh, power dynamics never make sense in, in the narrative. Um, yeah.
1: Yeah, and I, it's interesting to me that like in a way you're like like you're viewing. I I always viewed myself as like on the side of uh, of the have nots, not the people with power, like not with like the fancy people or the family. You know, there's some families that had like we're like doing okay financially and I I never viewed myself in that category, but in some ways like you are pointing out some markers that like, oh yeah, like we were able to like move to a different part of town and stuff.
0: You guys were able to buy groceries. <laughs> <laughs> but that's a huge uh I think that's a huge marker of success when you're when you're very uh yeah. Anyways, it's an interesting it's an interesting thing <sighs> for me, in my mind, in my experience, c- corner stores are the landmark of poverty um, because it just, they just, the prices keep you locked in. There's no, there's no steps up and there's no uh, mobility or transportation to get out. But anyways, that was my experience. Thank God I did get out of Bridgeport somehow. I went to Gop.
1: <laughs> it's a way, gotta find some way out. It might not be like the end point, but yeah.
0: Yeah, Bridgeport. I'm, I'm sure it's different now too. We're talking about Bridgeport in the 90s. Yeah. In-
1: oh, well, I have a question for you. Did you ever have a friend from Bridgeport, not in the church?
0: Yeah.
1: Okay, all right, all right. From school, yeah.
0: Yeah, the people we mentioned earlier
1: yeah because like had I not had to transfer schools and stuff my answer would be no like I did grow to have friends even friends from that same ghetto (laughs) like I had friends who lived there and stuff and I like got to go and you know they had those like tiny houses the tiny brick houses, like one of my friends lived in one of those. The stuff.
0: projects, the projects. Yeah. But, so,
1: but they had the cute little, like I thought they were cute. I did too.
0: <laughs> they had like the red brick and the white yeah. awning. They all, the, each of them had a porch and a air yeah. conditioner. um They were connected, but they had their own unit. I thought that was, you know, one yeah. step up from Mooney commune living. <laughs> like
1: you know, there were some there were some um, church families who like started to
0: live there yeah and that's a step up from living in the dorms where we literally like had nothing yeah one yeah no the dorms were awful they were awful like one kitchen on on a floor where you take showers like I don't know it was really weird yeah
1: like fam and families would live in the dorms
0: yeah the dorms were worse than the projects like amenity speaking Mm -hmm. (laughs) projects had more privacy and autonomy than fucking dorms on Lafayette not Lafayette what's what road was that on um the dorms I don't think I remember which street the dorms were on anyways that's where Moon put his peons <laughs> <laughs> oh my god uh enough of that Ah, oh, where did my brain go sorry I'm living in flashbacks right now Bridgeport <laughs> yeah I can't I, I think I'm totally stuck in a flashback <laughs> oh my gosh the the saving grace of living in Bridgeport was the community of kids though like you said we played as hard as we could that was our escape and we were very good at it now Bridgeport is uh I think it's getting gentrified they have like the um festivals there every year now and it's beachfront property and I think did they tear down the marina village
1: um I'm not sure about marina yeah like I haven't lived there since like 2010 but my parents still live in bridgeport and one of my brothers like only recently um left so like i yeah i i have heard some things that are different but again i I, it's like secondhand knowledge um but one big thing related to like uc community is um from my understanding like ub like officially cut ties with the church and so like the community looks really different because of that like because you know like a lot of parents like worked at UB and stuff so apparently they all got fired yeah
0: well good for UB I mean, awful for the families. Yeah, that changes the whole landscape of the yeah. Bridgeport community because that's that was our safe zone. We'd walk through UB, we lived in the UB dorms. We
1: went to church at UB.
0: We went to church at UB in that UB building, the science centers or something like that. Yeah, yeah that changes the entire landscape of yeah. what being a Mooney looks like. So it's probably completely different. So I guess we're talking about the formative years of Bridgeport in yeah. the 90s. I mean, there's more history previously, but we, that's when we were there.
1: Yeah so from what it sounds like from talking to my parents a lot of those people who work there like left because like you know what's the point like if they're especially if their kids have like grown up done college like they're not working at UB anymore and they just they, they left.
0: Yeah so that kind of closes the saga of educational epicenter in Bridgeport.
1: Yeah I mean there's still some people around but it's not what it used to be. Um one question I have which like someone else I don't I don't think you could answer it but someone maybe who's closer to UB could answer is like from what I heard they like fired anyone who worked at UB who was connected to the UC and this was after like Neil Salonen the president stepped mm-hmm. down so they got a different president who is not related to the church. But my question is like Was this confined to just church members, or were they just like also getting rid of like other people who had been there long term? Like, not like because you know how like the church is always like, we're being persecuted, like we're being targeted. But I'm not, I don't, I don't know, I could be wrong, but I'm like, I'm wondering, like, is it really like we're gonna get rid of all the UC people, or were they like, we're getting rid of like older people or trying to like freshen up? Um, rebrand what heard, yeah yeah and I also heard that like that new president wasn't was kind of a scammer too so <laughs> wow and then, like left within a year that's yeah it's like I'm gonna shake things up and then like take my money and leave kind of thing
0: wow <laughs> yeah oh um, man
1: unverified someone else who knows more
0: can like speak more on that yeah 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 because we're we're previous uh out settlers of the Bridgeport community yeah, <laughs> that's what it felt like <laughs> um you asked about if I had okay now I'm out of the flashback you asked if I had um friends outside of the church and I did and it was all these people and I remember visiting their homes in the projects and their grandma's and their mother is like, mom was a nurse. And she was so kind to her daughter. It was one of the first times I experienced like, oh, this is family. Like, even though she's a single mother working very hard, she really does love her daughter. And she gives her privacy and autonomy. She had her own room and support. And I was like, wow, this is is weird because she's a fallen human. Like, I don't understand this like unconditional love. And same with, um. I must've been like eight or nine and I started going to her house and she would go back and forth between her Nana's house and her mom's house and her dad's house. um. And even through all this chaos and dismantling of support, uh, no, not dismantling of support, dismantling of like scheduling, like she'd constantly be at a different person's house. I witnessed all of this interaction between her family. And it was like, so loving like her grandma made the best fried chicken and like would feed her she always knew there would be food at home when she got to her Nana's house or she always knew her mom had her best interests at heart and I think she ended up going to a magnet school but I remember these friendships very deeply because they were the first insight into maybe the outside world isn't so bad like even though they don't have a solid nuclear family like they're still doing better than I am
1: yeah yeah i hear what you're saying and i think i've had i had some experiences too like as i uh was in public school longer and stuff like just making good friends outside of the church of being like oh yeah like there's more than one way to live <laughs> like not everyone's like my family. <laughs> um but that brings up a memory um of when i first went to Roosevelt like I started to make some friends and um this one girl uh, like asked for my phone number and like she called she called me at home once and like we had a little conversation like it was cute whatever like I don't know what we talked about but afterwards I like started crying and my dad was like what's wrong and like I couldn't express it into words, but I think I was feeling guilty because I made a friend who was fallen, like not in the church, like, oh no, like, like, you know, like, yeah. So like that kind of thinking is just so wrong and just like, what, like what, And, you know, my parents wanted me to make friends and stuff. So, like, somehow I internalized these really weird and negative thoughts about, like, who is okay to be friends with and who's not and, like, that kind of stuff.
0: I totally know what you mean. And I don't know if this is worse in the 90s, but we were in, we internalized that, like, outside people were bad and Satan's temptation. And, like, if you genuinely cared about somebody then you were falling for a trap. Unless <laughs> yeah. you can convert them to being a Mooney, which would be the success. Like there was always a condition that you had to like either win them over somehow or save their soul. And if you couldn't do one of those two options, well then you were committing like <laughs> sin. So much shame. Yeah, I understand what you were feeling. And it's so awful that just making a genuine friendship (laughs) would be so distressing for you
1: um what you said about like that condition of like you have to win them over so I have a couple stories about that as well um I don't think my parents ever explicitly said like don't tell people like you're in the church or anything but like I knew to like hide that part of me when I was like at school and stuff and like sometimes like it was rare, but sometimes I would hear people say like bad things about the UC and like you know I was still a kid, so I'm still in it and stuff. so like, um, yeah, just like, I guess like, hearing adults say things like like teachers I or yeah, say like, oh like those Moonies kind of thing um, would occasionally come up and then another thing specifically is like occasionally well this happened to me twice where I had a friend um in high school and um they were friend her her parents were friends with some church members and they tried to like witness to her family Meanwhile, my friend does not know that I am <laughs> in, in the church. So I'm hearing, I heard a little bit like from her side and then like my parents heard some stuff too. Um, with this friend, she had an older brother and like when they were witnessing and stuff, he he Googled the Moonies and was like, it's a cult. We can't like, we can't be friends with these people. Don't join kind of thing. Yeah, <laughs> and meanwhile, I'm like, oh, do, do, do. like I'm just here like I still want to be your friend kind of thing but it was definitely like a little crisis internal crisis and in my mind I'm like oh no like part of my purpose of being her friend is to like help her. oh no
0: yeah. oh yeah. no <laughs> I wonder what he I wonder what he googled <laughs> I
1: mean he probably just googled unification church that's it that's enough like
0: you know right like oh my god oh man Mm, it's so much control there's so much like self-sabotage you can't even so conditional
1: yeah and I was like okay like I really can't tell her that like I'm involved in like yeah, like it's sort of like, you know, when you had to like separate yourself and be like, we can still be friends, but I like I can't tell her.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's so isolating. Mm-hmm. So, so when did you, when do you like all the poems that you wrote, I understand this unraveling, and it, it feels like a lot of betrayal from like a very high demand authoritarian type environment like when did you start feeling that way because it sounds like you grew up very much influenced by like the religion and like its power structure just like me
1: yeah
0: um Um, yeah
1: yeah well I'll say like with me uh leaving BHS and stuff but still being part of the cute community like at church like I always went to church like you know a lot of especially when you're like a preteen teen teen like a lot of people skip but I would always go <laughs> and like follow those rules and I joined for a while there was like the junior STF like <laughs> <I joined that. laughs> yeah um so like I really wanted to be part of the community and like fit in that way and I think at the time if you had asked me like would you rather be all in at school and like in the outside world or like all in the church I would have said the church like I want to be like that's who I want to be and like that's where I want to fit in with and I think that even like was one of my motivators to join STF as like well I want to be around like BCs and like do the BC thing um so yeah I think because I was sort of on the edge in some ways of of the community like by moving by like going to other school it wanted me to it made me want to be on the inside even more um but at the same time like I I had fun I had friends like outside of the church I saw that there's like other ways to live and um freed up there so I had like those two very like opposite feelings and experiences and I think just with time especially like going to college and like you know I dormed and stuff I was away from home and I just felt like okay like I don't have to look over my shoulder anymore like there's no one watching me I can just like be myself and like chill out a bit um I think that yeah, is kind of what um, made me, maybe, yeah, made me chill out, (laughs) that's what it is, that's what made me chill out, and then also, like, I would say, like, the whole, like, Love and Life Ministries engine, like, that scandal, um, experiencing that was just, like, oh, like, I don't want to be part of this, like, one scandal and I'm done like (laughs) I know like looking back with like our parents and stuff they've experienced so many scandals and they like explain it away you know it's explained away and then another thing happens yeah but for me I was like I feel close to this one scandal this is ridiculous like not for me
0: i I love that you brought that scandal up. Uh, I'll just summarize it for the listeners. Basically, Injun was given the United States like spiritual mission, and she started running Love and Life Ministries that would broadcast to all the churches across the United States every Sunday. It was a very like expensive production. It was from the Manhattan Center in New York City in the New Yorker. No, not the Manhattan Center, the New York, New Yorker Hotel. So like she she ran this huge like service. Um, and then she got pregnant from the band Sonic Cult member, the guitarist, uh, while she was married to James Parr. And she had a child out of, uh, an illegitimate child and that child's birth certificate was published. Now what pisses me off so much about this is yes, that was like the destruction of the United, United States church and lots of second gen left, but it's because she was a, okay. Let's just point out that Reverend Moon did the same fucking thing. He was married to a child bride, Hak Johan Moon. He got Annie Choi pregnant and had Sam Park. It's the same story. History repeated itself. And yet didn't really bother anybody because they explained it away as providential. Because I think it's because he's a man. Because as soon as Injun did the same thing, it imploded the mooniverse. I was like, God damn. I love that that happened because that was a big step for me to leave. But I also hate the double standard, uh, misogyny around that whole scandal.
1: You know, it's really interesting because like, I feel like I'm in tune with these kind of things. And like, Misogyny and stuff, but I never thought of that perspective. And it's true. It is the same story. <laughs> it's the same oh fucking my God, story. Like, you're like blowing my mind right now.
0: <laughs> like, Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's what happened. Yeah. And not only did he have an illegitimate child with Annie Choi, he fucking stole that child. Sam Park got implanted in his best buds, fucking family, Bohe Pox family. And like, that's awful. Like, he is such a sociopath he doesn't care about anybody else and like nobody could see past it anyways yeah talk about scandal if you want to talk about scandals there's so many scandals that should have let a lot of people escape the unification church and now we have another one yeah yeah (laughs) we're laughing because it's the only way to cope but uh yeah yeah shinzo abe was just murdered you know, um, we won't get into that because that's something totally different.
1: Yeah, it's a whole other can of worms. And to be honest, like, I didn't want to believe it at first. I was like, no, 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 that's not related at all. But yeah, it is. It goes straight to the top.
0: Yeah, it does. Um, it really does. It really, really does. Uh, Tatsuya Yamagami, shh, sh- sh- he uh he brings a lot of attention to a world of abuse that has been buried for decades so i guess that's all i'll say on that part because the story is still unfolding the scandal is still being um uncovered or the narrative is still being written so yeah this is recorded on july 15th 2022 (laughs) in case any other crazy shit happens (laughs) Oh my gosh. And your book, when is your book coming out?
1: Yeah, it's coming out on August 5th, um, which is also the day before my 30th birthday. Hey, yeah, happy little, yeah, little birthday present. And it's also like, I would say like maybe roughly like 10 years since, you know, the scandals and me leaving and stuff. So
0: yeah, that's amazing. Um, and the book is called what is the book called?
1: Yeah, it's called Outside World, and there's no
0: O in world. Um,
1: yeah.
0: Ooh. Do you want <laughs> it? Do you want to elaborate on that? Well, you- oh,
1: no, I just like stylistic reasons, and I was like, I like juice. I like. Well, <laughs> this has nothing to do with the book, but I like Juice World, <laughs> and he doesn't have an O in his theory, so <laughs> my world doesn't have an O. <laughs> either um I feel like with this book like I had a lot of creative control and it's also like not like a huge press or anything it's like a low scale project so I had a lot of creative freedom and I feel like a lot of books yeah you don't authors don't have that creative freedom like working with the publisher and editors and stuff so um a lot of books related to the church are have moon in the title and that's just something I didn't want. Like I respect it. I understand it. Like, of course. Um, even some of my poems have like allusions to moons and stuff, but like I did not want the word moon and I never like name Reverend Moon at all. Like his name is not in the book at all I'm like this is not about you (laughs) so many things are about you it's not it's about like the culture you created the people you affected but it's not about you not this time
0: amazing I love that take back your power yes that is beautiful wow and um do you know where we'll be able to buy this book
1: yeah um so the press is called um Go City Press So if you go to their website and they have a a summer series um, where like every week or so they release another small book and it'll be available as a free PDF. And like, you can like donate if you want to, but like for me, like accessibility is important. And I'm also doing this like as a hobby, not as a job. So I just want it to be as accessible as possible.
0: I love that. Is there um any links that you want to plug in where people can find you and and the book later on? Yeah, I think the best way would
1: to would be to go to my personal website with, which is just my full name, yoshikawawson.com. So Y-O-S-H-I-K-A-W-A-S-O-N.com. dot com. And then like all I have links there for stuff and like my email and things like that.
0: Awesome. I'm going to put that in the show notes. And there is one more question I have about the book. I see these um artistic pieces that are cross-stitched uh, a lot of uh multi-mixed media pieces. Um well it's mostly cross-stitching, isn't it?
1: Yeah, embroidery. Embroidery, um, yes. Yeah, I think um yeah, I, that's another one of my hobbies. I like to dabble in different crafts and that the time that I made this embroidery was what I was really into and um when I read I really like am drawn to like any picture like if there's I love reading but if there's a picture I'm gonna look at that first <laughs> so I really wanted there to be some like visual component to like not just poems itself but something else to like enjoy and that's like intentionally paired with the poems
0: Okay. I love that. Cause I, I really like, I'm like, I'm not, I don't want to give away too much cause I want people to to visit and see your book, but I love the palm reading embroidery that you did yeah, and, and how that relates to your poem. And I'm not going to give it away, but I, um, I felt the same basically. Uh, so I really just appreciate all the work that you did to create, like to respect these dynamics that we grew up with um let's see what else um I do have a question we're we're probably going to wrap up the interview sure um and I would like to ask you a question if there's anything you could say to let's say Moonies or ex-Moonies listening um it sounds like you've made it very far from where you started and if you have any advice on how to do that
1: yeah I think just like take it one step at a time like Um, even though I say, like, oh, I think I left 10 years ago, like, it really is a gradual process, and, like, it's not always linear, like, you know, just do what works for you, and, like, I know I felt a lot of guilt and shame, um, and, like, taking these different steps, and, like, veering off of the path that was prescribed to me, but, um, listen to your gut, and try it out even if you feel a little guilty you know like maybe with time it'll get better like you can still like you don't have to commit to it just try it out
0: (laughs) I love that and I know I took up a lot of this uh podcast with talking about Bridgeport and the community and how the community was formed and schools and I wasn't expecting that but you are a teacher and we did live different parallel lives in Bridgeport which is just so interesting Um, because we started at the same place like I started first grade Mm. in BHS too that was my first class there and you were there (laughs) (laughs) like yeah wow it's it's been really interesting um one of your I don't know if this was one of your poems or if I read something else earlier today is that I see myself in you and it's just so interesting to have, uh, you know, you see yourself in people and what could have been. And I just think uh, it's beautiful to hold the space to just look at it all. Yeah. So yeah, thank you for expanding this space.
1: <laughs> no, thanks for having me on. I haven't done something like this before. And I also like don't really keep up with people that I grew up with. <laughs> like, so um it was nice to like
0: reminisce for a bit yeah <laughs> yeah because we still have those fun moments too uh yeah tell your brothers I say hi if they remember
1: <laughs> yeah, me <laughs> I Probably
0: do. oh man it's so good to see your face I remember you my the vision I have of you in my in my mind's eye is just that you're a little girl with very long straight black hair and (laughs) and freckles and two little brothers that would just follow you around and kind of cause trouble but you'd always protect them
1: (laughs) (laughs) oh that's good that you remember us together because like you know I was outnumbered like two (laughs) well you also had all brothers so (laughs) (laughs) you know (laughs)
0: yeah that's true yeah I do remember you together but we I mean I only interfaced you at church in UB at the I think it's the science building I can't remember yeah
1: it's like an auditorium Mm
0: -hmm. huge it is the
1: science building yeah it is right yeah Yeah.
0: with the like pink carpet or I don't remember what what it was but wow it I don't want to I don't want to visit Bridgeport, but I'm so curious as to what it looks like now.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's not even like UB anymore.
0: Legit. I remember the last time I left, they had like a soccer field and I was like, when did they get this funding? That
1: soccer field was really nice.
0: Really nice. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I talked about like hearing, sometimes hearing things about the church when people don't know that I was a part of it. And one thing I remember hearing in high school, I think I was there on UB campus for like, remember um they had MLK Day and what is it? Not GP. International.
0: Is it Service for Peace? Oh yeah, I remember yeah. those. Mm-hmm.
1: So like Service for Peace was doing this initiative where on MLK days they would like make it a day of service like a day on not off and that was like one of their things programs that they would do that's not limited to the church they like had it I think all over the country but anyways they had a little event at UB and I was volunteering I was in high school and there was like some other ladies who are there as well who are older and there was like also a UB student, and one of the older ladies was asking about like, oh like, like, what's up with the Moonies and this thing now, and this is like in the 2000s, so it had been like some time, it wasn't like when the church first started like doing stuff there, and the student was saying like, oh yeah, like, you know, as an institution, like we're grateful for the money that they gave us and stuff, but like we're in a better place now. Like they had the soccer field, you know, other stuff. So like we don't really like it's like thank you, but like we don't really need your support anymore. And they're like, trying to like distance themselves there. So maybe that was a little like harbinger of like what was to come. But I remember being surprised to hear that I was like, no,
0: like we made this place, like this
1: is ours. Like what is what is this person saying? Like,
0: Holy shit. Uh, You're bringing up a lot of memories. Service for Peace did integrate with the government, the city in Bridgeport to do cleanup. We would um, put on our black, our blue shirts that said Service for Peace. We'd intermix with the city kids and the city community. We would dress them in Service for Peace shirts too. And we walked like miles down Park Avenue cleaning up the streets. And then I remember later that same, around that same time, the the mayor of Bridgeport thanked us like in a parade or a speech. they were like, thank oh, wow. you service for peace for cleaning up the city of Bridgeport. Um, and so we were recognized like we we so it sounds like we took advantage of MLK Day um, because of like the culture that we grew up in and like got the city involved with. I don't know. This is vague memory from 2000, but I do remember the mayor like addressing the Moonies, oh, wow. not the Moonies, but service for peace, yeah. which he might not have known was yeah. a Mooney front.
1: Well, the mayor was corrupt anyways. That's true too. (laughs) And like
0: these memories are, I'm pulling them from a vault that's very foggy. I don't remember the linear passage of time that happened there, but those all sound really closely related.
1: Yeah, and it goes to show just like how sneaky they are about things. Like we're not going to tell them who we really are. And, you know, they have the front groups and stuff and they like snake their way in.
0: Yeah, and we had UB because I remember these service for peace events. uh, We would meet and intermix with outsiders on campus so it seemed like it yeah. was like a college initiative with yeah. carp with yeah. carp oh my god <laughs> holy shit oh my god uh it's a lot okay <laughs> they're so sneaky we're so sneaky uh you can't really blame the people for getting involved they didn't know yeah um, and when they recognized they were getting support they tried to cut it off from a cult and like labor trafficking so good on them. But yeah, it still, it still hurts. And I hold space for that. You know, it it does hurt to be like a part of restoring Bridgeport and then getting cut out. I'm sure like to a lot of people. Yeah.
1: Especially like the families who invested so much into it. And then they're like, just left out to dry.
0: Yeah. And I do want to say, like I said, I bought a house from that real estate guy. My dad only was able to afford a house because of inheritance. Mm -hmm. Like I did I did want to say that part so like yeah a lot of us put our blood sweat and tears and generational wealth into Bridgeport to make it the place it is today if it is thriving I think it's a beach town that holds that um hippie fest <laughs> like now so yeah it does hurt there's a lot of space for for a lot of things it's just yeah thank you for diving deep and just kind of getting a better picture of Bridgeport because it was a mystery to me too it's still a mystery to me how that came to be
1: yeah like I said thanks for having me on um yeah (laughs) definitely a unique experience here yeah
0: yeah and uh hopefully in the future if you write any more books or um would like to talk about anything else you're always welcome back on the show Thank you so much. And that concludes this episode with Yoshi Wasson. I will put her contact information and website in the show notes. When a survivor tells their story, please reach out and let them know they have been heard. This is a huge part of resource making and community building and healing. It is so important to validate our survivors that are brave enough to come on the show and share their story and their wisdom so please do that and um, also if you like this podcast you can always support it by sharing liking leaving a comment or rating and i also have a patreon or kofi that is linked in the show notes so yeah i really appreciate you guys listening and taking the time out of your day to build a large larger landing pad for us survivors um and that we can have a place to be affirmed and validated and heal and tell our stories um so yeah like always, take care of your mental health. Uh, I think I'm going to do a solo episode soon on some mental health resources or um, even just Lifton's a criteria for thought reform. Um, yeah, if you want me to do that, contact me and let me know. If it's something you want to hear, I don't really want to go back to solo episodes because I really enjoy having like a networking and community building. But if that's something you think would benefit you, yeah, you can always reach out and let me know what you want to hear more about on this podcast. And yeah, so take care of yourself, take care of your mental health, and we will talk again soon.